To support this podcast, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Once again, positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Thank you and enjoy the program. No, I probably had COVID like 74 times. I have no clue and I don't care. Everybody likes Blanche. Because Blanche was a pig who took it. Did you smell your poop? Did you learn anything? Did you read about the dog story? is my ex-girlfriend who I despise calling me? A lot to blame on the news. It's a lot to blame on Anthony Fauci, that Italian leprechaun. Almost like it never existed, but it fucking did. So do me a favor. Go yourself. Jay here, PositiveSarcasm.com, recorded here from the Spare Parts Studio. Like, subscribe, share, donate, PositiveSarcasm.com, slash donate, any amounts appreciated. Uh, find me on Instagram at positive underscore sarcasm, Facebook.com, slash POS sarcasm. Email me through my website in the contact section of PositiveSarcasm.com, or you can just email me directly, PositiveSarcasm at Outlook.com. Just throw a subject in there. I'll check the junk mail. Don't worry. Have we shot down all the balloons yet? Whether they be Chinese or, you know, some kid's high school project. Can we shoot them all down? Everything all set? Can we take the can we take the no tams down? Can we can we take all that down, please? I, I got shit to do. I'm gonna move on here. We done? We're gonna start launching the Bud Budweiser blimps. Starting sending those overseas. It's an act of aggression. I think we're over this. I'm done with it. My mother told me she saw one of them balloons. One of them's one of them balloons. <laughs> mm. I don't know. Just seems like more fluff to keep you distracted from what's really going on. Goddamn lizard people. Um, moving on. I wanted to let's start on a cool note, uh, and then I want to talk about some other stuff in the close-up shop for today. Jeez, I'm already thinking about closing up shop. How about I start the fucking podcast and actually talk about stuff before thinking about getting out of here? Whew, man, you can tell I just woke up from a nap. Getting old. I'm too old for this shit. If I sh- if uh for those of you listening, uh I s- well I'll, well for those of you listening, you obviously can't see what I'm talking about. If you are a listener to this podcast, you can find me on Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Podcast Addict, the Apple Podcast, Substack. You you can download and stream it directly from PositiveSarcasm.com directly if you're into that sort of thing. Um, if you're a viewer of this podcast, does this photo? Does this photo remind you of anything? Is this ring a bell? This this yellow grainy poor wallpaper photo with this mysterious mechanical like figure in the middle. So if those of you listening, I see if I describe to you yellowish walls, plain brown carpeting, drop ceilings, never ending rooms, hint, and a mysterious figure twiggy and blurry and not in high resolution did i dis and the keyword is youtube and the other keyword is room does that ring a bell five seconds five four three two one a mysterious figure in a yellow room the back rooms 45 million views later, the Backrooms created, well, not, I don't know if it's created, but made famous by Kane Pixels, a YouTuber um, 
who I about a year, year and a half ago, I guess, is when he when did this come out? The original uh, backroom found footage. Okay, so a year ago when it first came out is actually when I first saw it. 45 million views, two over 2 million subscribers. He first started uh, doing stuff, just animated presentations about something called Attack on Titan, um, which I saw a little bit of, and I thought it was interesting. But the backrooms, for its, it's not shot, or it's not viewable uh, in 1080 or higher resolutions. It's it's essentially shot like a early 90s VHF. Uh, type of vibe you know that found footage kind of hard grainy shit to see um but over time in the last year it has really gained steam and popularity and there's a lot of backrooms types of well let me explain what the backrooms are essentially the backrooms are it's basically a it's almost like its own internal universe where this never-ending uh space whether it be storage or additional rooms or just places to put it's just it's the back rooms it's this this portal to just like this never ending uh, maze of 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 rooms and land and, and internal landscape and it's just essentially all the same color all the same color it goes on for days and it essentially drives its it's users mad people get lost they randomly disappear there's elements that um, appear from time to time people disappear it's very it, it's it goes on it, it's a lot like if you've ever seen the Blair Witch Project the Blair Witch Project starts out it's grainy footage not much is going on things start things don't seem right because you know from the beginning things aren't right and then slowly but surely people start disappearing you start hearing about lure or you start seeing things and then it gets it you see the you know the protagonist uh start going down a dark path and then the next thing you know the moment appears or the being appears or the happening happens and this nine minute found footage video it's essentially just this guy who was filming you know some you know d-rated horror movie on the streets and then apparently he stepped over like this glitch in the matrix in the sidewalk and he literally just fell to the sidewalk and disappeared and he landed in this yellowish environment known as the back rooms and he had his shitty ass camera and he just started wandering through this environment and he was maybe seeing things and then he fell upon this one thing written on the wall saying don't look directly at it and then he heard a noise and he looked directly at it it being the object and is the the saying is that if as long as you don't look at it this particular object if you don't look at it it won't go it won't hurt you apparently he looks at it and this entity starts chasing him through the back rooms and apparently even though from the way it looks, it's actually quite fast, or it knows how to manipulate its environment. So he ends up somehow losing it, but then it somehow ends up re-emerging. Um, I'll explain why I'm talking about this for eventually, eventually, in about 80 minutes. Um, but it, you can watch the end. Let the spoiler be what it is. I'm not going to spoil it, but the ending is the ending. It's found footage. 
Um, but then it turns into this thing where uh, a company discovers the back rooms and they start doing research on it and thinking about the profitable point of view, the capitalistic point of view of what you can do with it and the research and develop. But of course they're going into their tech, they're doing research, obviously, just like anything else. If you ever played doom or, you know, you've ever played uh, other games where, you know, or you've ever watched the movie aliens, you know, this big giant corporation starts doing research on an entity that, or an environment that they can't quite, they don't quite understand. And then all hell breaks loose. So, it, this the back rooms by Kane Pixels follows the story of how it begins and where it, and where it currently is now. Um, but you can go and check it out on YouTube uh, at Kane Pixels and just start with the back rooms. There's I don't know. There's probably like 15, 20 videos about it, and there and some of them are long, some of them are pretty short. But um, I find it quite fascinating exploring the unknown. And what really has transpired about this whole thing that's made it so cool, the fact that somebody took a an idea, an interesting idea, or maybe an idea that was already out there, and expanded upon it, expanded upon the theory of the unknown, took that, and then – and Kane Pixels is a young kid apparently. Uh, who is he? Uh, his about page simply says he's a, seven year, he's a 17-year-old director and voice effects artist. That's it. That's it. And if you go to his Insta, if you go to his Instagram, his name is Kane Parsons. Um, he just celebrated his two millionth subscriber. He's from NorCal, uh, and you know it just shows everything that he's been up to. Oh, there he is. Look at him, Kane Parsons for passing one million subscribers. That's pretty cool. Good on him. But the really the one thing, the main thing is he took an idea, he ran with it. He was very, very good at it. He got my attention, um, and I know it's easy to distract me, but he did the, he did a really great job of it. I mean so much that I'm actually willing to subscribe to him to see what next video is going to come out. And that landed him a movie. So uh, this is courtesy of MSN. Story, this story by Jessica Wynarski, even, uh, even though everybody's talking about it, this was like one of the later thingies, and I'm – Figured I'd just jump on it. If there's any new details, hopefully it would be in this article. So apparently all this work of him getting, you know, 45 million views on the first video and 2 million subscribers and all that re YouTube revenue landed him a movie. So a 20, uh, A24 films. Let me pull up. Let me go on IMDb. Let me give you an idea of who A24 is if you're not familiar with them. I'm sure you've seen one of their movies. So let me go to A24. Uh, let me see if I can actually find. Let me see if I can. Sorry, if I, I want to give you a twenty-four, a twenty-four, a twenty-four. Well, all right. So I'm gonna have to like. So you know what sucks about a twenty-four is, or what sucks about IMDb? Excuse me, is that they don't. IMDb doesn't do it by like, I guess, publishing company. So I guess what I'll have to do is go to um, – let me go to one of the movies that they actually did. So Adam Sandler was in this movie, Uncut Gems. So let me see if I can find A24 here. Um, what other movies did they did? Whatever movies did they did. <laughs> what other movies did they do? 
Okay. Um, all right, here we go. A24 world top worldwide grocers. All right, so A24. They did Hereditary, Ladybird, Moonlight, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Uncut Gems. Hold on. Uh, list of A24 movies. I guess IMDb doesn't have all the answers. Here we go. Uh, Wikipedia source. Here we go. Let me see if you guys remember that. Okay. Um, the Glimpse Inside the Mind of Charles Schwann, Ginger and Rosa, Spring Breakers, The Bling Ring, Spectacular Now, Enemy, Under the Skin, Locke, Obvious Child, The Rover, Life After Beth, Tusk, Laggies, Revenge of the Green Dragons, The Captive, Most Violent Year, Son of a... Wow. So basically in 2010, they started making, they started getting heavy with the movies. Uh, Ex Machina. Ex Machina was huge. So Ex Machina, A24. Um, what else? What else? What else? What else? No. No. The Witch. I don't remember that one. Green Room was an A24 movie. Uh, no, not The Lobster. Not to Palomino. Equals Into the Forest. Sea of Trees. American Honey. Moonlight. Moonlight. Uh, I believe one. Didn't that win Best Movie? Didn't that win Best Picture? Um, let's see. Comes at Night, Ghost Story, Menashe, Good Times, Woodshock. Jesus, they got a ton of movies. Lady Bird uh, by, with, with Greta Gerwig. The Disaster Artist, all A24 movies. Uh, they did Uncut Gems, obviously, with Adam Sandler. So they are... Oh, they did The Whale. They just did Darren Aronofsky's The Whale with, uh, what's his nuts there? Um, I can't remember. Uh, Brendan Fraser, excuse me. So, man, I spent way too long in that. I could have just kind of given you a throw. Oh, anyways. Uh, didn't they do that movie, The White, uh, the Lighthouse? Pretty sure they did Lighthouse, didn't they? Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. Oh, and they did that X movie, too. Um, a production team filming a porno finds themselves in danger while staying in a secluded farmhouse in Texas. I didn't see that. Um, so they have offered Kane Pixels a movie, and he's actually doing it. So they've, tw they've announced it's developing a feature film adaptation of the popular YouTube horror short series, The Backrooms. Uh, this news is the latest in a long line of popular internet media receiving movie treatment with other franchises like Five Nights at Freddy's, don't know that, getting a three-movie deal and a Cuphead show, becoming a hit on Netflix, video games, and intermedia seeing a rise in popularity. Okay. Low-budget films have always have also risen in favor and have proven to work well in the horror genre lately. Um, with Skinamarink and Terrifier 2 making millions at the box office with a budget of just a few thousand. For reference, um, the Blair Witch Project had a $50,000 production budget. That's it. And I believe also Paranormal Activity had a, a next-to-nothing uh, budget as well. What is The Backrooms? A series of short videos that gained notoriety on YouTube at the beginning of 2022. The shorts are created by 17-year-old Kane Parsons. Based on a creepypasta thread from 2019... The back rooms are typically a series of empty, endless office rooms and hallways that can be reached by no clipping or glitching through walls into another reality, something that used to happen in video games a lot. Since its initial initial creation, the idea of the back rooms has spread through platforms like Reddit and TikTok and has spun off into hundreds of other levels featuring a variety of rooms and spaces. 
Parsons' YouTube series uses a popular found footage style of camera work, often seen in analog horror like the Blair Witch Project. It features a first-person point of view following the cameraman as he explores a series of dark hallways, calling out and talking to himself, stumbling across creepy drawings, and eventually running from various creatures. Created using Adobe programs, probably like Adobe Premiere and some others, the online video uses low res, utilizes low-res graphics, sound effects, and unsettling tension to create fear. Why is the backrooms so popular? The idea of backrooms rose to popularity on 4chan and Reddit, with users sharing photos and experiences of so-called liminal spaces. Liminal, a word that's not really in my dictionary or in my vocabulary. Excuse me. It's coffee. The backrooms have also started to gain a following on TikTok, with people sharing the stories of their levels. It allows a sense of creativity, and no one able to prove they have or haven't been to them. Rather than, to, rather than the gore and violence of modern horror and slasher films, the backrooms relies on strategic buildup, with a viewer with the viewer on edge, knowing that something is coming, but not knowing when or where. Parsons' version of the backrooms feels universal, almost as if anyone could blink and find themselves there. What does the backroom success mean for other internet cessations? Comic books, novels, and franchise reboots have provided a plethora of source material for screens big and small for decades. The Avengers, that whole Marvel series. As more people turn to various internet and social media platforms for success, these areas are starting to be tapped by major companies. Netflix has found great success with the Cuphead show based on the hit video game Cuphead. Never played it. Blah, blah, blah. blah, blah. Even Wreck-It Ralph, one of the Disney's most po successful... Uh, features a variety of video game characters. Oh, okay, yeah, blah, blah, video game characters, whatever. With so many popular video games and internet hits being created by indie creators with low budgets, coming with a built-in audience and predetermined plots, the risk of adapting these franchises is relatively low. Internet culture is still fairly untapped area for content, which could help bring new, a new boom to the film industry as product companies lock their sh lock, look to shift their focus. Um... Mostly because, well, partly because, I don't want to throw all of the uh, accusations at it, is some of the stuff they're putting out right now is just flat-out dog shit. Like, it it does feel like ChatGPT is kind of writing all these fucking scripts right now. Um, it's It can be hard, like with anything else, like pop music or whatever, to just kind of separate yourself from the pack. Why does everything feel like a fucking Rihanna song? You know? So... The idea that a young creator is getting his shot to go from a really, really awesome YouTube channel to something much bigger of fulfilling his dream on the big screen. I hope, I, I truly do hope that his dream is not ruined by, what do you say, um, him selling his rights to like Universal or whatever and then taking his idea and just beating the shit out of it. So the idea that he can take a 10-minute video, a 10-minute video, and can you stretch this into a 90-minute horror movie, an 80-minute horror movie? It doesn't have to be two hours. It doesn't have to be Avengers long. It just needs to be 90 minutes. It needs to be tight. It needs to be good. You know, and the idea is you're just talking about liminal space. You're talking about space, what's the unknown, and what's in front of you. And... This character's journey, how are you going to... The question is, what does Kane 
what's Kane's plan for taking a character or taking a space or taking the unknown and placing it all into a, a well-done horror movie or sci-fi flick or thriller? What's his plan there? Because there's in most of his sh- movies, most of his shorts, his YouTube videos, there isn't much talking. It's mostly just this like this wandering or meandering. However, the introduction of the uh, of the company, the big company that's going in there doing all this research, the, it has expanded the back rooms into something like that you can really tap into. Like it like there's there's people talking, there's research, there's there's characters, there's development, there's movement, there's drama. There's a lot more to the back rooms now that it's not just some guy wandering around hoping he doesn't get captured by some mechanical ghost or whatever or being or entity or whatever. Now it's got like an actual company that's going in there and creating well, an aliens type of environment. I mean, when you think about it, like aliens was just a lot of space, a lot of dead space. The first movie was a couple people doing space mining. They get a distress call, and they land in this place where they discover something. It's very, it's very, it's just a higher budget version of the back rooms. But what they discover is absolutely terrifying. And then they were able to just crank it up with the aliens, one directed by James Cameron. Once you discover the act, once you are, the fear is in the first movie. And then you can take some of that fear and add it to the second movie, but then it's mostly action. That's when the action takes over. So the fear, you only get fear in the first movie. That's it. After that, you expect more. You expect action. That's the perfect example of what Aliens is. Aliens is you get the fear in the first movie, the action in the second movie, and then the resolution in the third now, I know there was a lot of problems with Alien 3, but there was a lot to like about the movie. There really was. There was a lot to – there was some things to not like about it. I know it was in production hell. I know there was a lot of problems. I believe David Finch had, like, you know, a lot of drama on set or with the producers, which that happens often. But that's the perfect arc for a horror franchise or what it started out as. Um, Terminator had the same type of arc where – you had the fear in the first movie because it was an act. It, it was an action horror. It was an action movie. The first one was an action sci-fi movie, but it was also a horror movie where you get the fear of something chasing you in the first movie, the action and the plot twist in the second one, and then they had the chance to do something with it in the third and possibly even set up a fourth, which they did. But the third one was so Hollywoodized it was dog shit. Um. And then they had a chance to save the franchise in the fourth one, and it just it didn't work. It was dead. It was dead. They fucking killed it. At least – and they did the same thing with the Alien franchise. But they didn't – unlike Terminator 3, Alien 3 had a lot to like about it. Had a lot to like about it. There was – the characters were awesome. The It was grimy. It was scary to a degree, um, and it was different. And it captured a lot of that early 90s – you know, fight club type of grimy grunginess that was there. There was some good stuff that came out in the early 90s. So Alien 3 and its trilogy is a good arc, okay? Uh, Terminator franchise didn't get that that arc. The Backrooms can, though. 
the backrooms can really be that multiverse liminal space unknown thing that kind of gives you that aliens feel where they start out with fear in the first one and if they allow the question is is can a 17 year old director make a good first one what can he do with the second one because i don't think that you're, you're unlike aliens you know like terminator and alien you're not going to get james cameron to come along and be, and take over the and take over the keys to the kingdom because that's what that's the thing Ter- aliens the alien franchise and the terminator franchise were uh Two franchises where James Cameron was involved. Uh, the James, the Terminator franchise was created by James, whereas the Alien franchise was not. It was created. It was created by Ridley Scott. So James got involved in the second one. He said, "Cool, cool story, bro. Cool horror movie. I'll take it from here." And then he just turned it into a giant action movie, which it was pretty cool. I don't care. It's one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. So there is that. Um, where James basically created the first two Terminator movies and then kind of just walked away from the third one. The third one was awful, so. But he's so busy getting blue with Avatar that he's not going to be around to uh, do anything with Kane Pixels and with the Backrooms franchise. Now, here's the thing. Who, if you were to think of a director, somebody with a lot of pull, who could do something, who could help Kane Parsons, if this, let's say the Backrooms movie becomes like a cult phenomenon or a success and it does really, really well, who could Kane tap into if he got funding or the ability to what to make a second one. What could he do if he even wanted to make a second one? I mean, obviously, we're greedy Americans. We want to see another movie. We want to see a sequel if the first one was good. Who could he tap into? Uh, who, what, um, what, a- what actor, excuse me, not what actor, what, um, let me think it of, sorry. What director would you think of if you needed exp- uh, help explaining a, un- a an unknown environment, an expanded environment? You know, something that a, a what do you call it? A concept that has never been seen before on screen in the in in explain to you in such graphic detail that it literally ch- it, it, it invents a, a genre or it, it it breaks the mold it does a, a host of things it tries out new concepts and I can only I don't know if I explain that why but I, I guess to simply put it who's the one director that could really tap into the back rooms and help Kane Parsons develop this into something even bigger than it it already is you know i can think of one person really one off the top of my head and that's christopher nolan and i know people were going to argue with him about uh 
I mean, he's had, he's in my opinion, he's had some movies that weren't that great. Like Tenet, Tenet to me suffered from an acting problem. Like the concept was cool, the whole you know going back forwards and backwards. The concept was cool, the acting was garbage. I fucking hated the acting. I thought it was terrible. It was, uh, it just, it sucked. But it had a very interesting concept that expanded the universe, expanded the universe of how time works, going forwards and backwards, and how you can manipulate it, and, and just layers upon layers upon layers. He did that. It worked. It just the acting didn't. Interstellar explains the concept of how time and and space and tra- and ba- essentially uh, traveling interstellar. Uh, you know, saves humanity. Is there is there a way that the back rooms can help save humanity or expand humanity? Interstellar to me works. It it was the ending kind of stumbled a little bit, and it could have been one of the greatest movies ever. But to me, it was a really good movie, and I loved it for it's willing to explore black holes, wormholes, interstellar space, and just actually being out there. Um, Inception is the is the movie though Inception is the one movie where I go that is where Christopher Nolan can help you know forget about Batman that doesn't that's all about you know that's biblical shit but the idea of Inception where you are going into somebody's dreams and it's based on layers and the the way these layers are displayed to you on screen in in my opinion is the one way that Kane could take this whole thing and just fucking flip it all on its head and my cons- it would have to be so carefully crafted where it stays within the backroom's realm, but it expands it to this insane environment and just blows people's minds. I mean, the only other person, actually, hold on, I, I just thought of one more person. I just thought of one more person. This guy invented it. Stephen King. And why Stephen King? It. The movie It. It isn't about just some evil doer. It is not just about some some kid-eating clown. The idea of It. It isn't. It is not a. It is a monster, but it is an entity, an entity from an outer room. I got a. I got matter in the freaking uh, the turtle behind me. So it's from a whole different uni- Matter and essentially threw up and vomited out. You know the universe. And it is an entity from that universe in which it fights with. And it is a – it's a multiverse of, of, of ideas, and it's unknown. It is unknown. Its environment is unknown. So those are two – and it – obviously, it's, it's a horror movie, but it is also sci-fi. But Stephen King would be perfect. Stephen King or, or, or Christopher Nolan or those two, both of them involved with the cane pixels with the back rooms could truly expand the environment in which 
well, the back rooms is founded upon the unknown, the liminal spaces, expanding your mind, the fear of what's what may be out there or what's not even out there, and this, also the idea of the back, how the back rooms tests your mind, tests the limits of your mind, and in some cases drives its drives people insane when it's in this environment because the brain can't comprehend it. So these all these things involved are these I would love to see them as maybe executive producers, maybe not as directors. I think Kane I think Kane always should I always think the original creator um, if 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 best suited should man the reins. Man the reins? Sure, should hold on to the reins of the environment, of the directorial focus. I think it's just what's best uh, in most cases. But you have to respect that arc though. So if you're going to take, like Inception had action, uh, but Inception was very interesting on its own. Inception, could Inception have had a prequel? Yes, absolutely. Inception could have a pre. it should actually. I think Inception would have absolutely been able, would have been a perfect movie to have a prequel. And Inception is the perfect movie to have a sequel. It really is, because you still have that main character. You know, the one who's dating like a 19-year-old right now? That one. So I think it would be perfect. You could have a prequel and a sequel. You go backwards with Inception, and then you can move forwards with it. Uh, back rooms. And But it had, it, Inception had, it had interesting angles. It had, uh, uh, it introduced the idea of expanding your universe. It had action. It had all these things where it can do that 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 story arc where you start out with the unknown, you move into the action, and then you get the resolution of that unknown. You wrap it all up. Generally, three movies can do it. Terminator franchise is different because that's the leading up to uh, leading up to Judgment Day. What is chasing you? Um, and then, but what James Cameron did was very interesting. Was he added to the timeline where there were multiple Terminators coming back through time? So he took he took the original concept and milked it, and then was able to create a third was allowing for a third movie and a fourth movie because the fourth movie was supposed to be after the war, or not after the war, after the nuclear uh, after the nuclear holocaust. That or was the holocaust nuke? The nuclear moment where everybody, you know, all the missiles were launched by Skynet and blew everything up and then the war begins. So it basically reset everything. But the idea is the story arc is there. You have your horror, you have your action, and then you have your resolution. Alien followed that. The horror movie, the action movie, and then the resolution of killing the entity. Killing the entity, the main character dies. Spoiler alert, the movie came out like 30 years ago. And there you go. Kane Pixels with with the backrooms can totally do that. If it's done right, the concept is there. There's so much you can do with it. The protagonist, the unknown, and the antagonist are all there. The protagonist – so the original found footage person, that wasn't really a protagonist. That was just somebody – that was a person in the backrooms. The protagonist could be somebody within that corporation, just like in Aliens where you had Ripley. So you can totally have that. Um, somebody within the corporation being the protagonist and somebody within the ba- within the corporation being the antagonist. And the back rooms just being the environment in which they play. It all depends. 
I really like that um, Cane Pixels is getting this opportunity to present a new environment to us, and I look forward to seeing uh, what comes of it. And I really do. I, I really, really do. So shout out to him. Let's finish up with one more article about – I wanted to say we are we are talking about YouTube. So this uh, was sent to me by my associate producer. I wanted to just throw this in there really quick before we close up shop. Um, YouTube CEO Susan Wojcicki uh, is stepping down. So she's handing the reins off to her top deputy. Uh, this dropped this week. So Susan Wojcicki is stepping down from her role. She's been doing this for nine years. Uh, running the video division of Google. So she, she's the YouTube, as you know, YouTube is owned by Google, which is essentially the under the guise of Alphabet. Um, so she was, she said in a blog post that she stands to start a new chapter focused on her family, health, and personal projects. She'll also be taking on an advisory role working across Google and parent Alphabet Inc. She is handling handing the reins to top lieutenant Neil, Mona, Neil Mohan. Let me pull the article up. Another vet, uh, veteran Google exec who runs YouTube's products and policies. Oh, boy. Quote, the time is right for me, and I feel able to do this because we have an incredible leadership team in place at YouTube, Wojcicki wrote. In September, YouTube hosted a live event for its short services. Wojcicki dialed in via a video call, citing a health issue. The company declined to comment further on the transition. She is a little older, though. How old is Susan What's-Her-Face? Uh, she's one of Google's longest-serving employees and one of the highest-profile female executives in Silicon Valley. After lending her garage to the company's founder, she joined on in, in, as an early marketing manager and rose through the ranks of Google's advertising businesses before joining YouTube in 2014. Um, she was involved in two of Google's monumental acquisitions, the 2006 purchase of YouTube and the deal for advertising technology businesses DoubleClick the following year. Wojcicki uh, spent years running Google's display ads operation, turning it into a secondary revenue stream behind search and expanding Google into areas like targeted ads that yielded greater profits but more regulatory scrutiny. Uh, who's this fat bitch? Uh, inside Google, Wojcicki was known as one of the fewer higher-ups with personal tie to the Mercurial Mer founders, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, that gave her considerable sway inside the growing technology giant. She's essentially a short circuit to the founders. She was essentially a short circuit to the founders, said Kevin Desai, founder of Shaktai Capital and former Google colleague. She's a person who had a bigger impact than any of her titles would suggest. Uh, Desai recalled the advice he received after joining Google in 2003 from a manager. Susan gets what Susan wants. Oh, Jesus. In early 2014, Google then-CEO Page tapped Wojcicki to run YouTube after years of lackluster results. For nearly a decade, YouTube had expanded ferociously but struggled to become profitable. Wojcicki brought a renewed focus on challenging the TV ad market, boosting YouTube creators in ties with media companies. While Wojcicki was a media outsider, Hollywood veterans took notice of her attempt to make YouTube more of a, uh, a ready partner and nemesis. Under Wojcicki, YouTube set up a program to rival Netflix and Amazon with original shows starring YouTube creators. Um, the program failed. Wojcicki, still, Wojcicki proved that better building closer ties with YouTube's enormous, unpredictable sea of creators. Yeah, she, yeah, the profit, the profit program um, really did help until Adpocalypse hit. Quote, she brought them into the conversation, said Dan Weinstein's co-CEO of Underscore Talent, who had worked with YouTube for years. He described Wojcicki as a taking a YouTube from a pure engineering technical platform into resembles what resembles a media company, whether they use that term or not. She also oversaw YouTube's rockiest years during the Trump presidency, 
I don't know if that's its rockiest years. The platform struggled with issues about around extremism, disinformation, child safety, and misbehaving stars. Major advertisers boy there we go, adpocalypse. Major advertisers boycotted the site multiple times in 2017. Several critics, including former employees, faulted Wojcicki for moving too slowly to address these issues. Or whether or not she should have moved at all, in my opinion. While YouTube has avoided the political onslaught of Facebook, I don't think that's true, the video platform is facing growing regulatory issues around copyright and liability. YouTube's handling of jihadi content is at the center of the Supreme Court case that could rewrite how the internet works. Since 2017, Wojcicki has gradually built back trust with advertisers but not with users. That part I added in. YouTube's ad business has more than tripled in size in five years, reaching 29 billion in 2022. She's been a pillar of stability during that time, Weinstein said. In recent quarters, however, YouTube's ad haul has slipped below Wall Street expectations. New privacy constraints like Apple's, Apple's incorporated banned on target ads has limited revenue, and YouTube has invested more in shorts, a feature to combat TikTok that has just started to run ads. Meanwhile, Wojcicki push in, Wojcicki's push into paid services like its streaming service and its Spotify rival have had limited success. Uh, Mohan has been Wojcicki's top deputy for years, moving over from Google's ad businesses to YouTube in 2015. He's widely seen as her natural successor. Uh, blah, 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 blah. So the thing is, is that they're just going to be running with the same problems. They, they're going to be running on the same platform or an even tighter version of what they're currently doing. Uh, YouTube's going to continue to falter. I know YouTube is by far the biggest out there when it comes to um, video content right now. You know, ex whether it's short or explain video podcasts, news, all your content right there. Um, it's the smoothest, it's the easiest to use, but there is a problem with their policy and guidelines and their censorship right now, majorly, especially um, revolving around the pandemic. It was also one of the reasons uh, my podcast left YouTube and moved over to Rumble is because of the whole thing revolving ivermectin, where I read an article and then they blocked it, citing it was their their information policy around COVID. And right now the walls on the whole COVID uh, debacle, the walls are starting to drop. So how is this going to have, I mean, people have already lost their trust in YouTube as a company. Just not with the users, though. The users is different. That's where the trust issue lies. So, but obviously when it boils down to, it all boils down to money. Is YouTube making the money? Are they meeting expectations with the shareholders, uh, with their employees, and with their content creators? Obviously, we just talked about what, uh, a creator with two, over 2 million subscribers that is now getting a movie, a movie deal. Uh, these are the things you want to see from YouTube. What you don't want to see is uh, creator controversy. You don't want to see, uh, you know, major issues like misinformation and disinformation. You want the truth to come out. You're always going to have extremism um, on any social media platform and or anywhere where users dictate the content. Anywhere where users dictate the content, whether it be Facebook, whether it be uh, a TikTok, it does, you know, I mean, well, TikTok aside, um, you're going to get shit that people don't like. That's how this whole thing works. The idea, though, instead of like, you know, throttling content, you just put out what's popular, what people are liking, what people are viewing, and go from there. Um, if you want to add 
you know, like what they did about, you know, uh, for more information, visit cdc.gov. You can you can put I mean, there is a, a, an argument to be made about uh, putting additional content information underneath it. Or like a, not a fact check, but just these are the government entity entities that uh, may have a different argument. But we all know that government entities at this point are not telling us the truth. They've been bought and paid for and they're essentially corrupt as well. The CDC is no different. So, but because they are also not only they're advising and at times paying or being paid by or basically in cahoots like the Twitter files, it's forced YouTube to, or it's coerced or convinced or paid YouTube to essentially censor content. So I don't know. I know that Wojcicki obviously had a hand in that. The question is, is that going to get worse or is this issue going to uh, resolve itself now that she's gone? But like I said, it all boils down to money. Are they going to make more money or lose money? If they make more money, their policies hold. If they make less money, their policies are going to change. The question is, where do the creators go and what do they do? And what happens with these AI softwares, which hurts the value of Google? So it's like. Google may not be able to afford in like 10 years to actually be the number one search engine, which may hurt what YouTube is up to. And with the rising popularity and rumble, what's, what is YouTube going to be in 10 years? If anything, remember Facebook used to be all the rage, all the rage, just like MySpace. but it is good in this brief glimpse in time that YouTube has been alive to see creators like Kane Pixels getting their due. Like big podcasters like Patrick Bet David and Jimmy Dore getting their due. So that is the cool part about YouTube is seeing independent creators rise. The downside is, well, obviously all the bullshit you've read online. So, and of course the banning of people that silly, unnecessary, but a reality we're currently facing. Um, in the meantime, we're at 45 minutes. I'm going to go ahead and close up shop. Um, seriously, go check out Kane Pixels. It's an interesting, it's a very interesting take on horror and, you know, found footage. Uh, just go ahead, Lily, Kane, K-A-N-E, uh, Pixels on YouTube. Go And just check out the, the, the Backrooms uh, series. I think you'll find it interesting. Uh, in the meantime, you can find me on Instagram at positive underscore sarcasm. You can find me on Facebook.com slash POS sarcasm. Go to my website, positivesarcasm.com. Questions, concerns, comments. Hit me up there. Or email me directly, positive sarcasm at outlook.com. Support this channel simply by going to positive sarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Or you can check out the Weeble app. You can get yourself some free stocks and uh, by just depositing money into your account. They'll give you free stocks. And then I'll get free stocks. And that's one way you can support this platform. Uh, in the meantime, we're done here. Thank you for listening, watching, and subscribing. Find me anywhere where podcasts are available on the interwebs for audio. And then, of course, if you want the video version of this podcast, Facebook.com slash POS Sarcasm, but primarily on Rumble. Find me on Rumble at Positive Sarcasm. Thank you for listening, watching, and subscribing. And I'll talk to you all next week. Recorded here from the Spare Parts Studio, this has been a Positive Sarcasm presentation.